Um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 38 through 42. Luke 10, chapter, Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. And the title of this morning's message is um, Entertaining Jesus. Entertaining Jesus. I have a um, neighbor whom we have become relatively good friends I remember the first time I went over to his house, his uh, wife was very hospitable. She, I was like, hey, is, is the seat okay? Uh, do you want to recline backward? The seat has a feature where you can pull this lever and recline backward. Do you want something to drink? And she proceeded to tell me all the types of drinks that she had available for me. And then she started cooking and bringing out snacks. And I was just overwhelmed by her hospitality. She said, do you want a table next to your seat so you can put your, your, your drinks and your, your, your drink and your, your food on? And I was I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And so um, she was very hospitable. She, she entertained me well. And it's to that effect that I want to uh, speak about this morning, entertaining Jesus. Uh, before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would use me for your glory and that you would minister grace to all of us. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines entertainment as to show hospitality to. Uh, this is the definition I want to use, not entertainment in the sense of providing amusement, but in the sense of showing hospitality. During our time together, we're going to be looking at five verses here in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and I'm going to share five words with you. Each one of these words describes something we need to pay attention to if we are going to entertain Jesus in our own lives. And by saying this, I mean growing with Jesus in such a way that we experience him in a deeper measure in our lives. And as a result, we become more rooted and grounded in him, and he becomes even that more precious to us. And as some of you might know and have heard me preach before, I like alliter alliteration, so in order to help us remember these words more easily. Each one of these words starts with the letter W. Let's begin our reading there in verse 38. Now it happened, as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She welcomed him. Some translations actually say she received him. The idea is that she willingly hosted him in her home. She was hospitable toward Jesus. She literally welcomed him. She hosted and showed him hospitality during the time that Jesus lived here on earth. And here's the first word I want to share. Number one, welcoming. As we are seeking to entertain Jesus, we must be welcoming to Jesus. Uh, this raises the question, how do we welcome Jesus? Well, before we welcome Jesus into our homes, we must first welcome him into our hearts. 
uh, James, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, For as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even as many as believe in his name. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And so this is the, the first step in, in order to, to welcome Jesus. We must first welcome him into our heart. We must come to a place where we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that God sent forth his Son. God in the flesh came and died on the cross, a substitutionary death. He died in my place for my sins, for your sin. He was buried and placed in the tomb and rose from the dead to authenticate the claim that he was the Son of God. And when we believe that truth, when we believe that fact, the Bible says we are saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And so in order to welcome Jesus, our lives need to be rooted in that fact, in the gospel. You see, many times we struggle to welcome Jesus into our homes because we have not made him Lord of our hearts. Now, I'm going to ask us a series of rhetorical questions meant to call us to self-examinations. And here, here they go. Is Jesus welcome in our homes? Will the things that go on in our home make Jesus feel welcome? Are we experiencing Jesus in our homes? Do the things that go on in our home create a pleasant environment for Jesus? Would we watch some of the same shows we watch if Jesus were in our homes? Would we have some of the same interactions we have with one another if Jesus was there in our homes? My wife asked me years ago, if there was a camera in our house, would people know that we are Christians? Or would there not be any difference between our family and a family who does not serve the Lord? Is God's word read in our home? Are prayers going on in our home? Do we pursue more time with leisure and amusement and entertainment than we do the things of God. Now, I know these are all hard questions, but they are meant to probe the level of spiritual maturity and commitment we have to entertain Jesus in our homes. Now, there are going to be three kinds of people who respond to this question, three types of responses. One person will respond by rejoicing and being glad because he or she knows that God is working in their hearts and working in their homes. They rejoice because they have received grace for repentance. The second kind of person will respond by feeling convicted because he or she knows that they have a lot of growing to do. And this is good because the Bible says that godly sorrow produces repentance. 
And it will make you want to trust the Lord and grow in the Lord more in this area. The goodness of God eventually will lead us to repentance. Now, the third group of people who hear this, they will feel completely indifferent to what was shared because they don't think that it takes all that. You, you, they may say to yourself, you mean I have to be a Christian in my home too? Uh, Tito, you're just too much. As my wife Jiba puts it, you're extra. <laughs> However, for those of you who may fall in the last two categories, I want to say this. All things are possible to those who believe. If you believe and trust God, you can go from the place of being indifferent to a place of actually welcoming Jesus in your life in a very special way. In verse 39, we read, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mary sat at his feet. This was the customary place that a pupil would sit in order to be instructed by a rabbi. The Bible teaches us that Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel, Acts 22, verse 3. It is a place of humility for the learner. And it's a place of showing respect and honor for the teacher. It is a place one must willingly take, which brings us to the second word we must pay attention to. Number two, willingness. There must be a willingness in our hearts to entertain Jesus. She sat at his feet to hear his word. She was willingly teachable. Jesus is the master teacher. And in order for us to grow in our relationship with him, we must be willingly teachable. And it is clear from this passage that the format that is being used is the teacher-pupil format. Most of the times, we don't mind that format, especially in church or in college or some training. However, there are other forms of teaching that God uses which are outside of the traditional teacher-pupil format. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There are times that God will use our peers to teach us. Other times God can use our children or our subordinates to teach us. Uh, we must be willingly teachable in those instances as well. How about when God uses the stubbornness of a spouse to help us learn humility and dependence upon him. Or God chooses to use the bad attitude of a coworker to teach us perseverance. There are times that God calls us to, to learn through the rebuke of a family member, a friend, or a brother, or a sister in Christ. Will we willingly be teachable? I have found that there are many people who like to call other people out on their sin, but they get defensive when it's their turn to be corrected. Some people 
people are so immature and steeped in their pride that they will even turn it around and start finding fault with the one who is corrected. Oh, my brothers and sisters, it is a dangerous thing when we will not allow others to rebuke or correct us or instruct us, especially when we are wrong. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 1. It says, he who often being rebuked hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And what that verse means is that if you are constantly being told about the same fault and the same sin in your life, and you are defensive and stubborn, and says, only God can judge me, only God can correct me, you can't tell me nothing, you just sit. If you're stubborn, if you're stubborn, he says that you will certainly have to deal with the consequences of that sin. And one of the things that, that I found is uh, our fear of losing face keeps us from growing. Let me say that differently. We are so afraid that people will judge us or think less of us if we confess our sin that it keeps us from receiving the correction or the instruction. God forbid they realize that we are a broken sinner in need of God's grace. Listen, we are all broken sinners in need of God's grace. God gives grace to the humble. When we are corrected, when we are rebuked, when we are being instructed by someone who loves us or cares about it or God has put in our lives in some way, we should say, thank you. Forgive me. Will you pray for me? That is the humble response, and God will give us grace for repentance because his power is actually made perfect in our weakness. A broken and a contrite spirit, he will not despise. Pretense and hypocrisy only leads us to self-deception. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 declares these words, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives his own self. God is calling us to genuine relationships. It is when we confess our faults one to another and pray for one another that we are healed. James 5, 16. Unless we are honest with ourselves and God and others, we will not benefit from this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. Therefore, in order to thrive as we entertain Jesus, we must willingly be teachable. Let's continue our reading there in verse number four. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. We see here Martha was overly preoccupied with much serving. So much that it distracted her from the fact that Jesus was teaching in her home. It distracted her from receiving ministry. 
Now, it needs to be said that Martha was working because there was work that needed to be done. This passage does not reflect negatively on her because she was serving, but because she was distracted with much serving. Her problem wasn't that she was doing something for the Lord or serving her, serving the Lord. Her problem was that she was distracted among other things I will mention later on in the message. Let me tell you something. Sister Martha has gotten a bad rap. She has been maligned. She has been misrepresented. She has been unduly criticized. So I want to speak up for Martha this morning because I like Martha. She didn't sit back and wait for things to happen. She took the initiative and she welcomed and invited Jesus into her home and then she started serving him. You see, Martha is a doer while Mary is a beer. In other words, these two sisters had two different personalities. And you see this when their brother Lazarus died. It was Martha that ran out to go meet Jesus while Mary just sat in the house. See, uh, one like to do, the other one like to be. One was a more outgoing go-getter. The other one was a more reserved introvert. She liked to chill. So the problem wasn't that she was working. The problem was that she allowed herself to get this, the work that she was doing to distract her from the Lord. This brings us to our next word, number three, working. Entertaining Jesus also means we work toward our sanctification and work to further the gospel for the glory of God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you are indeed my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Colossians 3, 5, therefore put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And you read further down in that chapter in verse 8, it goes on to say, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. These are all action words we have been called to do by God's grace. My brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be passive about killing the sin in our lives. These scriptures make it clear that there is a pressing into God in order to put to death the sin in our lives. It is an active, intentional, persistent pursuit of sanctification. We are to ask God for his help and strength in order to grow in holiness, but we also have to work in the ministry. God has given each of us a spiritual gift in the body of Christ. If you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. 
There are times we don't serve the Lord because uh, we don't know what our gift is. There are other times we may not serve the Lord because we are too busy or we feel inadequate. We may feel like we have too many issues for God to use us. We feel like we're too sinful and, and too broken to serve God. I'm here to tell you that God wants to use you. He not only wants to live inside of you, he wants to flow through your life to bless others. He wants to be glorified in your life. In John chapter 2, Jesus was attending a wedding and his mother Mary was also attending. It so happens that they ran out of wine. And so basically Mary pulled out her mother card and told Jesus to do something about it. Jesus instructs uh, the servants to take six water pots and fill them with water. And after they took the six water pots and filled them with water, he instructs them to serve it to the master of ceremony. Sometime between the time that they poured the water and the time, the Bible doesn't tell us, the, the time that uh, they served the water, the water had turned into wine. It was a true miracle, so much so that the master of ceremony commended the bridegroom and says, you've saved the best wine for last. And the lesson here is this. The servants served, but Jesus performed the miracle. It's the same thing today. We serve God's people with our gifts and talents, and Jesus performs the miracle in their hearts. The cool thing is this, there are times that God does a work in our hearts while we are serving others. There have been many times I've been discouraged or I've been focused on a problem and an opportunity for ministry would present itself. And inevitably, as I would encourage that person, as I would comfort that person, I would wind up preaching to myself and wind up feeling encouraged and forgetting about the thing that I was being stressed about or worried about. And as a result, my heart was encouraged. I would be comforted with the same comfort that I comfort others. See, as we engage in serving Jesus, Jesus can turn the water of apathy and indifference into the wine of joy and passion for the Lord. Jesus wants to use us to be a part of the miracle that he performs in someone's heart. We must ask God to stir our spirit for his work, just like Zerubbabel did in uh, the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 14. It's, he, it says that the Lord stirred their spirit and they started working on the house of God that was in ruins. Will you allow yourself to be used by the Lord today? Will you choose to use your gifts and abilities to further the gospel and for the glory of God? Let's continue our reading there in verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Martha was worried and troubled about many things, more than likely the things that had to do with the service she was doing for Jesus. She was so distracted, so worried, so troubled, so anxious 
that she chose to interrupt Jesus while he was teaching. Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. It's about me. The focus is on me, Jesus. And thus the root of her anxiety. Worry places the attention on us or on a person or on an issue rather than God. Which brings us to our next word. Number four, worrying. As we are seeking to entertain Jesus, we must avoid worrying, anxiety, stress. Worrying, stressing, being anxious about things we can't control is a waste of time. I want you to consider this. We have only been allotted a certain amount of time in our lives. And then it's over. It is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year you spend obsessing and worrying and stressing and being anxious over something you can't control in the first place is time you wasted and can't get back. I would encourage you, urge you to use Paul's King James terminology, beseech you by the mercies of God not to stress. Not to be anxious. The word worried in this passage is the Greek word meranao. It means to be anxious or to have a distracting care. The same word appears in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. But be meranao, anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I believe uh, Max Lucado put it best. When he said, and I quote, no one can pray and worry at the same time, end quote. Prayer is more powerful than worry. We have to get to a place where we believe more in our prayers than we do our emotions. We have to believe that our, the prayers can do more than any president can do. We believe, have to believe that our prayers can do more than any position. We have to believe more in our prayers than we do politics. We have to believe more in our prayers than we do our preferences. We have to believe more in our prayers than we believe in any injustice or any issue that is going on. We have to believe more in our prayers, more than we believe in the sinful wickedness of any person that is in power or in control. 
For this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have those things that we desire of him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. We believe in prayer because of the one we are praying to. The one we are praying to is the sovereign, almighty God, and he is still on the throne. Like I mentioned before, the problem was not that Martha was serving. The problem is that she was anxious and troubled and distracted about many things. Anytime we take the focus away from the words of Jesus and place it on us or an issue or another person, the outcome will always be anxiety and troublesome distractions. Therefore, we must be watchful and avoid anxious worrying because anxiety will eventually lead to depression. And depression can have some very, very harmful effects. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 records these words. Anxiety in the heart of men causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. The question is, are you going to focus on you and give in to anxiety, or are you going to focus on the good word of God and be glad? Let's read our final verse and then we'll close. Take a look at verse 32. But one thing is needed, and Martha has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. After Jesus gives Martha a gentle rebuke for being so anxious and troubled, he points, out the, points her to the solution, the word of God. This is our fifth and final word. Entertaining Jesus means we are focused on the word. Mary was hearing Jesus teach the word. Jesus says that that part will not be taken away from her. Mary hearing the word is the good part which will not be taken away from her. Jesus highlights the eternality of God's word. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. The word cannot be taken away from her. The word cannot be taken away from you. It is eternal. Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. When we choose to focus on the eternality of God's word, we will not become prey to anxiety. We must not give up believing in God's word. We must not allow the word of God to be choked out of our lives by the cares and worries of this world. Just like the word couldn't be taken away from Mary, the word cannot be taken away from us. It is eternal. Hold on to it. 
Hide it in your heart. Believe it. Share it with others. But the word is not only eternal. The word is sufficient. For all things that pertain to life and godliness. The word of God is sufficient to give you eternal life. The word of God is sufficient to deliver you from bondage. The word of God is sufficient to help you break the power of addiction. The word of God is sufficient to heal your marriage. The word of God is sufficient for racial reconciliation. The word of God is sufficient to bring about justice. We live in some difficult and crazy and unusual times today, don't we? And for me, as part of being proactive, I have had conversations with people across the board of different races and nationality because I am trying to learn. I'm trying to be swift to hear and slow to speak and through the multitude of counselors make war and, and trying to, before I respond to anything, the Bible says whoever uh, responds to a matter before he listens, it is a folly and a shame to him. And so I've been having conversations with people and asking them questions, black pastors, white pastors, just asking them questions. Tell me what's your heart and what, what's your perspective and just really trying to learn what's going on. And as Christians, we are called to be empathetic to the plight of the underprivileged and the disenfranchised and to the oppressed. But at the end of the day, the Bible still says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We cannot turn a blind eye and pretend that there are not bad things going on in our country, but at the end of the day, the Bible still says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We must pray that the word of God gets a hold of, uh, of the hearts of the people in our nation. For if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and heal the land. That still stands true as when it was written centuries ago. The word of God is sufficient. And we cannot afford to be distracted like Martha with everything that is going on and take our attention away from the eternal, all-sufficient word. Because if not, we will get swept away in a sea of emotion, swept away in a sea of issues that, by, by the way, have been here before, as long as men have been here on earth. I can't believe I'm going to quote Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx says, uh, racism is not new, it's just on camera now. <laughs> what is it, Will Smith? Thank you, baby. <laughs> Being the help me. And so we have to stay focused on the sufficiency of God's word. We, yes, avail yourself of your rights. Yes, speak. Yes, have conversations. Do what you need to do, but stay focused on the word because this world is not our home. When I look at the news, when I look at television, I literally see Matthew, Matthew 24, 
perilous times and pestilences and troubles and wars. And I'm reading my Bible and I'm watching the news and I can't believe that I'm reading what I'm watching at the same time. In the last days, perilous times will come. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, there's not a politician that can fix this. I hope your hope is not in Biden or in uh, uh, Trump. I hope your hope is in the sufficiency of the scriptures and what they promise and the eternal life. It doesn't mean we don't vote. It doesn't mean we're not responsible. It doesn't mean we don't reach out across the board. It means at the end of the day, I'm not black. I'm not white. I'm Puerto Rican. I am a Christian. Don't define me by my race. Don't define me for what I'm born. Define me because wherever I was born after that, I was born again. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. Come on. And so people of God, the word of God is eternal and sufficient. As Christians, we're called to be empathetic. We're called to, to listen. We must pray that the word of God gets a hold of our nation. We need to believe it, practice it, preach it, pray it. It's not popular. It might not seem relevant to some. It might seem like we're out of touch with reality to others, but we will be walking in obedience toward God. We will be the light in a dark generation. We will be the voice of peace, calm, and comfort in the midst of a troubled, perilous, turbulent time. We need a move of God. The heart of the king is still in the hand of the Lord. And as a river of water, he turns it whichever way he wants. The book of Daniel, chapter 5, verse 21, records these words, that God rules in the kingdoms of men. And we need to get back to trusting in the sufficiency of God's word. We need to get back to praying for kings and all who are in authority. If we are to entertain Jesus... We must stay focused on the word, for he is the living word. The word is eternal, and the word is sufficient. Charles H. Spurgeon once said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. So let me close with these words. Today we studied an event that took place in the lives of Mary and Martha and Jesus. And we highlighted five words we need to pay attention to if we're going to entertain Jesus in our own personal lives. And these words are, number one, welcoming. Number two, willingness. Number three, worrying. Number four, that was number four, worrying. And number five, the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that, Lord, your word will sink deeply into our hearts. That as a result, we might bear fruit unto eternal life. Help us to persevere and to stay focused on your word and to endeavor to grow on this journey of entertaining you in our own personal lives, in our homes and wherever we are that we might grow in our sanctification, that we might be willingly 
teachable. Lord, it is only through you that we move, live and move and have our being. So I want to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>